um, confused, crazy world, don't we? You go on the net and you'll find out different arguments for whatever topic you're, you're looking for. You know, crazy. It's confused and crazy because this week I, I don't know if you saw the story about um, this camel contest in Arabia. Have you seen that? Did you see that this week? Where they have this camel racing and a beauty contest for camels. And some of the owners of the camels have been fined. The prize money is something like $96 million. So some of the competitors or the owners of the camels have been going out of their way to try and make their camels more beautiful than the rest of the camels. And they've been caught out and fined a substantial amount of money. But what they've been doing is they've been injecting Botox into their camels to make them more beautiful. Can you believe it? What a crazy, what a crazy world we live in, eh? I mean, apparently their lips, some camels' lips aren't beautiful enough or enlarged enough, so the Botox helps. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the, someone many, many moons ago put Botox into the back of the camel and made the hump. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you, you just don't know, maybe... Maybe there's a verse in that in Genesis 1 or something, you know, about the camel hump. I don't know. Crazy world, confused world. But we come to a, a point in the year, in a couple of weeks' time, when, when we can celebrate a, a historical event that really gives, gives us some solidity and foundation for the craziness that's out there. And we know that... 2,000 years ago, the God of history, the creator God, came in the form of his son, Jesus, as a baby, to right the wrongs, to make some sense of the confusion, to make some sense, if you like, of the craziness of well, and, and bring this world back to the place where it was designed to be. And as much as we see the stupidness and the craziness at the moment, God is still at work and he's working within us. As we make a difference and carry his spirit wherever we are and whatever we do to make a difference in his world. And one day the time will come when he will return and this world will be finally put right. Won't that be a good time? Hey, eh? It will be. And in the meantime, we're having a good time ourselves. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, we... Um, we, what is that? Yeah, what's love got to do with it? So a few weeks ago, we um, we looked at First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and remember that is a passage that is probably for many of us we would have recognised it as being read out or recited at a wedding as much as it what it would have been at church, and uh, but Paul is writing to uh, the a church in the country of Greece. Um, a church in the city of Corinth, and, and Corinth was a kind of a really debauched, immoral city, and um, the the nature of of the city of Corinth had kind of seeped its way into the church, and there was a lot of immorality in the church. It was messy, people weren't getting along, and they'd forgotten the real meaning of love. They'd forgotten the teachings of Jesus about love, and and so um, Paul into this situation that Paul is writing to these church people just like us or some say there was a number of small churches who used to gather together occasionally as one bigger church but Paul is writing to this group of people about what love does 
we also live in a culture where either we've lost the meaning of the word love or we abuse it or perhaps we sometimes don't even know what it really means. And sometimes that's reflected in the music we listen to or the music we kind of grew up with. And listen to some of these songs that we, we most of us would know. I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Okay? All Out of Love by Air Supply. All Out of Love. Love Hurts by Nazareth. Love is a Battlefield by Pat Benatar. And Tina Turner's song, um, What's Love Got to Do With It? And one of the lines of her song was, Love is a Secondhand Emotion. And I just want to thank, um, thank Tina Turner for kindly allowing us to use the um, title of today's message from the title of her song. Thank you, Tina. In fact, we've got a clip of Tina Turner's song coming up now. Is that? No, just joking, just joking. <laughs> but, and then there's John Paul Young's song of Love is in the Air. So maybe, I mean, maybe love is something you can catch like a virus. And, and that's what we've done. You know, we've made, love, we've made love a noun. When love is a verb, we've actually made it a noun. Right, love is something you can, can we, can we turn the fold back off? It's a bit, yeah, can we? We've made love a noun where you can fall into love like you fall into a hole in the road. Or you can fall out of love like you fall out of a tree in the backyard. Or you can, you can find love, can't you? You can find love like you find a lost sock. Or you can make love like you make a cake. And so we've, we've made love a noun. But when Paul is writing these verses, he, he's, he's describing what love does. So love is a verb. So let's have these verses up after we've finished with that song of Tina Turner's and we look at what love does. Okay, and we're just recapping because remember a few weeks ago we did the first few of these. So love is patient, all right. So impatience is when someone or some, well, when we react, when we have a reaction to someone or someone else who imposes on our timeline or our agenda. That's when we're impatient. But patience means that we relinquish our timeline and our agenda for the sake of someone else. So if you're following an old lady down the road at 70k down the motorway, you just let it go. You just, you're patient, right? Or behind the, someone at the counter at, at Mitre 10 who is counting out 85 screws, you know, you let it go. And you're patient. Patience is kind. Being kind means that when we engage with others on no matter what level it is, we are always engaging with them for their benefit. It means that when we meet with people, when people leave, our, leave us after some kind of conversation, they're always better than when they first met us. How many of you were, happened to be at Mitre 10 on Monday afternoon late? Anybody? That's good because you would have seen me lose my rag. I was standing at the checkout, um, two back from the cashier, and there's a couple behind me on those 
dots on the floor that are two metres apart. And there was a, a guy in front of me who was holding his cell phone up to the young lady who was at the, cash, the cashier's desk. And he was pointing out to her that the item he was buying had been advertised on the net for $2 less than what the ticketed price was. And he was, it was only an item, it was a little gardenia hose fitting, so it was about $15 worth. And so he was ensuring that the, pur the purchase price was what he had seen on the, on the, on the net, not, was, not what was ticketed. And she was getting very confused because she was young and experienced, and all she was doing was doing the right thing from what was on the ticketed figure. But he was really getting in her face and showing the phone, and this is all I'm paying. This company needs to learn the principle that this is the what I'm paying. So I'm standing behind him, and I say, look, what is the difference? And he says, $2. And I said, why don't you just put it on my account? I'll pay for the lot. Don't worry, let's get this thing moving. Leave the young lady alone. She's upset. And he says, no, this company needs to learn a principle. $2, and that's all I'm, I'm I want, the $2 discount. And he said, stay out of my, stay out, this is not your business, stay away. This is to me. I said, the moment you made that young lady upset, it becomes my business. So, so anyway, we got into a bit of a, you know, a bit of whatever. And anyway, he goes, he gets called over to the customer service counter. So I go to the, you know, to the cashier and she looks at me, but she's, crying and she, she half serves me and then has to go away to compose herself. So when she comes back, the guy's still over there sorting out his $2 discount. You know, crazy, crazy, entitled gentleman. Anyway, as we, as we left and go out the doors at my detention, you're probably familiar with, he walked out in front of me and as, as I walked out behind him, he turned around and he says, now listen here, old man. I said, <laughs> I, said I resemble that comment. <laughs> He said, it's none of your business. I said, look, $2, principle of $2 to save is not worth the jeopardy of a young woman being upset. And I think I was fairly, but then he went on to me, that's none of your business again. I just said, the moment you made her upset, it became my business. <laughs> anyway, so, so I went to my truck and I sat down. I thought, did I do the right thing? Because I got really angry, you know. I was, I was really angry. Because someone wasn't kind, he was entitled, and, and it took it out on a young lady. And so it's okay, this is a, I'm digressing here a wee bit, but it's okay to be angry on some stuff. Well, you know, and that's, and I know Ron probably gets angry when he sees the effect of domestic abuse and that sort of stuff. We get angry about what we're passionate about. Jesus got angry in the temple, didn't he? when he saw the people being abused and ripped off because they were being charged too much for the sacrifices they had to purchase. And so he turned over the tables in the temple. It's okay to be angry. Your anger will always expose what is passionate, what you're passionate about in here. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not because we're just self-obsessed, you know. Right. Sometimes we... It is best to express what love is or define what love is by saying what it isn't. So love is not, love does not envy. To be jealous of another person is only highlighting what is lacking in your life. Okay? If your life is soaked with envy, the world is is always going to be a torture chamber because there's always stuff out there. Now, 
To love is the capacity to experience joy in the good of another person, even if it's not being experienced in my life. Okay? Do not envy. Love does not boast. It's not about my interests. At the, at the fact that I disregard yours, it's not about me, it's not about my stuff. Love does not boast. We all meet people, don't we, who talk more about themselves and ask us very few questions about what's going on in our life. Love is not arrogant or proud. It's not puffed up. It's not inflated. Love, uh, puffed up and proud basically says, well, there's a centre of the universe and it's right here. I read a story the other day of a woman who was so in love with herself, she married herself. Just on the net a few days ago. And then two months later, she met someone else that she loved, so she divorced herself. She divorced herself and then got married to this other person. I don't know how you do that. I mean, what do you do with a family home? You know? <laughs> oh dear. Love is not rude. This is the behavioural outcome of arrogance and pride. Rudeness is rooted in arrogance and pride. We don't belittle, we don't dishonour, we don't put people down, we don't make jokes of another person's expense. And rudeness is increasing, isn't it? It really is. Jenny Paulson had to reprimand some gentlemen here last time because they'd been making jokes at the expense of their mother-in-law. Not a good thing. <laughs> rudeness... No, no, Jenny's a good, Jenny was a good thing. It's making jokes that's not a good thing, yeah. But rudeness creates friction in relationships. Love is like an oil that reduces the friction. Okay, now let's complete the list as we go through. Okay, we're still on there. I'm going to um, introduce you to a bit of technology. Whoa, whoa look at that. One day when all the equipment comes for this, when we write on here, it'll come up on the screen. At the moment, we're going to write on here while we're going to try to, and hopefully it comes up on here, all right? But when we look at the, when we look at the list of what love does, the, the, the love list, we will see that there are three, three things that will determine or will define or expose how we, how we kind of work with love, the three qualities in our life that will be seen um, when love is expressed to, what, to any relationship we're involved in. The first is our motives. What drives us, okay? What is behind, what, is behind what we do with our relationships with other people. What what drives us? What's our what's our intentions in terms of our our relationship and our love? Second one is our mood, our moods. In other words, how do we feel? What what is what is the emotion behind our our desire to work with this relationship? What are, what's our disposition? Kind of what, what are we going through inside in order to develop the friendship? The relationship. The third one is oh, it's a crazy pen. Is manners. Manners is not what 
manners is not how we use a knife and fork when we visit our girlfriend's parents for the first time. Manners is how we act, how we behave, how we live our life. And so our, when we express love, it will be seen in those three qualities in our life, our motives, our moods, and our manners, how we live. Okay, let's continue to work through the list. All right, love does not insist on its own way. Love is not self-seeking. Some of your versions might say, love is not saying it's me first. Love is not self-absorbed. Second Timothy, when Paul writes to uh, the young man, he says that there's going to be some hard times ahead. And in these hard times ahead, people will be lovers of themselves. Love not seeking its own way means that we don't prioritise our interests, our agenda over the interests of another person. It means that I'm less important than you. Saying, you first, no, no, you first, uh, no, you first. It means we, we never get into the building because we're holding the door open for the rest of our life, you know. But it's always the best for the other person. It's relinquishing first place, relinquishing control. Love is not insisting on its own way. And that is the backstory of the cross. The heart of the gospel is the cross, and the cross is all about giving up power, about giving up control, handing it over. You're good at my expense. You see, our culture will say, if you look hard enough at the inside, if you focus on here, you will discover who you really are and who you're meant to be. I mean, our, the, our bookshops are full of books that encourage us to look in here. And we can go on the net, we can watch TEDx talks or whatever, telling us about we will find out who we really are when we look inside and who we're meant to be. Jesus and these teachings of Paul are so different because they teach us to... When you look on the outside and look to others, you will find out who you're really meant to be. You'll find out your purpose and your destiny. It's when you look on the outside. And not only that, you, when you look beyond yourself to the lives and to the needs of others, you become more Christ-like. And not only do you become more Christ-like, but you, you, become more, you become more human, actually, because that's the way we're created. As we find our designed and our created purpose. So it's your good at my expense. Love is not irritable. It's not easily provoked. In other words, are there sharp edges in our comments or our demeanour that make us uncomfortable to be around? Are we prickly? Have you ever heard the saying where someone was saying, oh, I just don't know about spending time with her because it's just like, you know, standing on eggshells. You know, you just kind of don't know what's going to happen. Are we prickly? So don't, love is not irritable. In other words, don't stroke the cat backwards, you know. <laughs> when people do that, when people provoke us or when people irritate us, we are not to be resentful, Okay. Don't be resentful. Don't take an offence. Um, some versions will say, don't keep a record of wrongs. 
What does that mean? Do we, does that mean that we don't keep a diary note of the stuff that we've done wrong and write it down? I don't know. Don't keep a... Re- and that can happen in close relationships. Like the couple of gentlemen were out playing golf and um, one of the, they're starting to talk about you know, their family life and relationship and that with their wives. And one guy says, look, we had, a, um, had an argument with my wife the other night and, and she just got historical. And the other, the, the other guy says, you mean hysterical, don't you? She said, no, historical. She went back 20, 30 years, you know. And guys, the reason that happens, well, the reason it can happen, I'm just saying it does happen, <laughs> is anyone got a spare room tonight? <laughs> the, reason, the reason that happens is because, guys, we don't deal with it. And when stuff is brought up, we kind of don't want to deal with it. And so it becomes an historical discussion later on. Right. Moving right on. But we need to let stuff go. We need to, as, the, as it says in Ephesians, don't let the, don't let the sun go. What, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Or as Phyllis Diller, I've said it before, Phyllis Diller, the American comedian, says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, stay up and fight, you know. <laughs> um, but allowing, if, if resentment leads to unforgiveness. And resentment is just allowing someone else to spend, to live rent-free in your mind. Like drinking poison, waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> What's a good check? What's a good check if you're carrying resentment? What, what, and just this is a good question to ask yourself. If someone has provoked you or you know irritated you or you feel has violated you in the past, what is your first response when you hear that person's name or when you see them? What is your first response? That's a good good check to see if you still carry resentment. All right, love does not delight in wrongdoing. Okay, next slide, I think we're on there. Okay, love does, does not delight in wrongdoing. Or does not celebrate injustice or delight in evil. Now, when we read that, we might think, well, we've got this one nailed, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay here. I mean, if I look through the list, there might be times when I'm impatient, there might be times when I'm not kind and I'm irritable, but, but my word, I, I, I never delight in wrongdoing. I don't, I don't celebrate when I see wrong in others, and I don't, I don't delight and I don't rejoice in the evil that's in the world. We might think we've got this one together, but that's not necessarily the case. Because sometimes we say, you know, have you heard that, you know, the other day I saw... Janice got pulled up by a police officer down the road and she was breathalyzed and then put in the police car and taken to the station, you know, and we don't... Or, you know, the time when... Have you heard that John got caught out with at work where he lost his rag at the manager and swore at the manager and, and now he's lost his job? And So sometimes we do, in that way, we celebrate what are the failings and the wrongdoings of others. Or even if you've been to a church pre-meeting... And you're praying over something about the church hall or the auditorium or something, and someone's praying, "Say, God, we just um, we just commit Harry and Mary's marriage to you right now. 
We know that Harry's been in real trouble and he's not an easy guy to live with. And you're sitting there looking through your finger. I didn't I didn't even know Harry and Mary were married. And, and sometimes we, we, and that is a way that we can delight, we can rejoice in wrongdoing. We're not to rejoice in wrongdoing. Or celebrate someone's failings, okay? Then it says... In fact, love does not delight in wrongdoing. In fact, love laments the tragedy of the human condition. Right? Love grieves at the sight of injustice, of wrongdoing, of failings. And then it says, love celebrates when truth wins out. <laughs> well, love celebrates when, uh, when honesty is, is exposed. Or another version might say, truth is love's delight. Now here's my take on this verse. There might be other interpretations and kind of what Paul is saying, but here's my take on it. Go home and think, just mull this over and see what you think. But my slant is this, is that really loving or really loving in the way that we're supposed to love can uncover the inconsistencies and the failings in our own life. Because often we do the very things, we choose the behaviours that we see in others that really shock us. See, when you look at the list, the love list, this kind of exposes where we are inconsistent, where we fail, where we haven't come up to scratch. And what this particular verse is saying is that exposure to what we're really like inside is actually worth celebrating. It's worth being, it's worth rejoicing over when we realise that the truth of what we're like inside is exposed. Now, when Jesus, when Jesus, I want to drill down a wee bit here, but when Jesus spoke words to, to us, if you like, through his word, words that are, that are challenging to us, words that are uncomfortable, words that are inconvenient about how we're, living, how we're supposed to live. Like, forgive, um, 49 times, what's that, seven times? 70 times seven. And we're, we're supposed to love by giving ourselves. We're supposed to, if someone asks for a shirt, we give them a shirt, but we give them the jacket as well. And when we, if we look upon someone with anger, we're actually committing murder. If we look upon a woman with lust, we're committing adultery. Jesus' words were incredibly challenging. And so when we look at the words of Jesus and the words of, these, of this passage, we, it's an, it exposes stuff what we really like inside. And what this verse is saying is that is worth celebrating. Now let's move on because when we um, pack over here, isn't that good? Oh, look at that. Oh. Right. Okay, Psalm 139. Great Psalm, eh? Starts off with the word. Oh, gee. Can I do that again? 
psalmist says, you have, you have searched my life. And you know, the psalm goes through a lot of stuff like, God, you have searched me, you know everything about me. You know, you you know when I was you know when I was being formed in my mother's womb, you know you charted every day of my life. You see when I sit, you when I when I stand, you know everything that there is about me. It's an incredibly encouraging psalm. How many how many of you spent time in that psalm? Eh? It just expresses God's love and His intimate knowledge of of who we are. You know, I kind of get the feeling that if God had a refrigerator, my photo would be on the on the door. You know. God, God sort of knows everything about us, and it's expressed there. The verse, the word "search," the word "search" in, in Hebrew means a number of things. The first, in verse one, it means explore. Verse twenty-four, it means. Examine. Now, so so Paul, so sorry, the psalmist says, "You have explored my life. You know all the stuff about me that's visible to you." But at the very end, he's using the word "search," that means examine, not explore. In other words, God, I want you to look inside. I want you to look inside, and he says, "I want you to find out any anything that in my bones that that makes you sad that you want to change." So the difference is, the psalm starts off with explore, it finishes with examine inside, and this is what's worth celebrating because the psalmist is saying, "You know me and you love me to this extent that I give you permission to look inside and make the changes in here." You understand that? Yeah, and so do you know what it's like when you go to? Have you ever been to a, a medical? You had a consultation with a specialist, and they find out all this. They know a lot of the stuff, background stuff, but they'll ask you some questions like, "Do you smoke? Do you drink? You know, and all, all that, all that sort of stuff. You know, and that kind of give an overview of your health. And then at the end of it, there'll be an opportunity for an examination, and you get a chance to get put inside a chamber for a scan or have a camera put down or put up as they go, you know. And so it's an examination. So we go from an explore to an examination. And that's what God wants to do with all of us. And that's the beauty of that verse. We celebrate when the truth comes out. I've told the story before about the church that I was brought up in, in Heratonga. It's got the verse that says, you know, thou God seest me. It's not a verse, it's just a saying. Thou God seest me on the stained glass window. And for me, that was a picture of God like, I was, like I'd been caught doing something bad in class and I was getting dragged down to the principal's office. You know, that's the sort of God picture I had. But Psalm 139 doesn't bring that picture of God out at all. It's a God of love, a God who cares, a God who wants to bring change to our life. And when we ask God to examine us, it's an invitation for God to come in and to recreate inside here. Love celebrates when truth comes out. You know, in Psalm 51, um, is the psalm that David wrote after he had committed adultery and he had murdered um, Bathsheba's husband. And 
in that psalm, I think it's psalm, I think it's verse 10, he says, God, create in me a clean heart. Sometimes we think that that the Bible kind of story of creation finishes and is enclosed in Genesis chapter 1. Not at all. Not at all. The creation, the creative work of God is right through the Bible. Right through the Bible where God continues to create. In fact, Psalm 51 verse 10, the word to do, the word that means create is the same word in Genesis 1 where it creates what was without form and void. And so David is saying, God, I'm nothing without you. I need you to recreate in my life. Make me new. And of course we know that later on David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And why? Because he invited God to recreate and do something new in his life. Maybe this morning that is the case with you. As we celebrate or when, when truth wins out, celebrate the fact that we can have the inside exposed. And only God can do that. Only God can reveal that and, and, and let that be known to us. And when he does, he wants an invitation to come in and examine. But the examination leads to a recreation. Maybe that is with you this morning, wherever you are. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ and never started the journey. Or maybe you have, and it's you know at the moment it's mediocre. It's it's the stuff in there that still needs to be brought to the surface and exposed. Where God needs to be given the right to examine and to recreate, and He wants to do that this morning. Hey, let's pray, shall we? Right now, we haven't finished, but I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the Almighty God, the one who did create, but the one who continues to create. We thank you for your power, for your love, and for the way that you pour your goodness upon us. And Lord, we just ask this morning that for those who are just looking deep within their own life for stuff that needs to be dealt with, that you, Lord, would examine, be given the right to do that. And Lord, show the stuff that you want to make new, that you want to create again. And Lord, we pray for people here who just have never made a step to give their lives to you and to start afresh on their journey no matter what the past has been like. We pray that you'd speak to them this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you that you've got so much for us, that life with you is so exciting, it's so exuberant. Lord, we just bless you for what you've done and for what you continue to do. Amen. All right, it's Psalm 139. Let's finish this off quickly. Love is always supportive. It always protects. Love is always consistent. It always holds the other person high. It always elevates the other person. We provide a safe place for others. We may, we may know that life is not easy, and so I'm committed to be a steady and an unwavering support to others around me. Love always believes it trusts all things, no matter what the other person is like. No matter, and we all know people who have been dipsticks, don't we? But love always believes that because they've been made in God's image, there is always good in everyone, always good in someone, all right? Some good in whoever, no matter what they've been like. Love believes and trusts that a person can become what God has for them to be. Love always hopes. Love always hopes for the best in others. 
no matter how much someone may have mistreated me or I always hope for their best. Never, never dismiss anyone as hopeless. Never. Never dismiss anyone as hopeless. If we really believe in the supernatural power of God to change a person's life, to dismiss someone as hopeless is to slam the door in the face of God. God can do anything. He's a miraculous God. He can bring change to any person's life. No one is hopeless. Love endures. It perseveres. It hangs on no matter what. I'm not going to go into any depth on that. But love, finally, never gives up. Love never fails. Love never becomes obsolete. And of course, where did the Apostle Paul get the model of love? From Jesus himself. I'm going to read to you a a quote by Charles Spurgeon as he talks about God's expression of love. He said, Jesus Christ, the Son of the all-powerful God, God in the flesh, he was on the cross, nailed, bleeding, dying, looking down on the people who, who he loved who had betrayed him, who had forsaken him and denied him. There were those who had whipped him They were jeering him, mocking him, laughing. And with his ultimate authority and power, he could have removed himself from the cross. But in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, he stayed. He stayed. And as he loved, we are to love as well. We did this last time, but what I'd like to do again is can we just read through that passage and instead of the word love, put your own name there. Can we go back to those those verses, please? Yeah. In other words, can we read that through? Trevor is patient. Trevor is kind. <laughs> is I expected Viv to laugh then, but not <laughs> Trevor is patient, Trevor is kind. Trevor does not envy or boast. And just as you're reading that through, you're doing a check. You're doing a check of the honesty that needs to be celebrated in here. Okay? Can we do that together? Love is patient. Trevor is patient. Trevor is kind. Trevor does not envy or boast. Trevor is not arrogant or rude. Trevor does not insist on his own way. Trevor is not irritable or resentful. Trevor does not delight in wrongdoing, but Trevor celebrates when truth wins out. Trevor is always supportive. He believes all things, hopes all things. He endures all things. Trevor never gives up. Amen.